didn't I? Now hold one finger there. And actually, we're going to start with a little, a little tidbit in First Chronicles chapter 4. First Chronicles is in the Old Testament. Um, First Chronicles is um, after First and Second Kings, before the Psalms. So somewhere between the Psalms and First and Second Kings, you'll find First Chronicles chapter 4. Last week, we started with the vision for us as a church. And last week, remember what the vision that we cast was that, you know, even though we're trying to grow as a church, we're trying to raise money, we're trying to build bigger, we're trying to get a bigger sanctuary, we don't ever want to lose the vision that, that our vision as a church is to reach lost people. And that if we don't genuinely, as a, as a ministry, as a people, have a, lo- a love for all of God's people, then we're missing it. And when we see people that are, that are, that are far from God, when we see people that don't know Jesus or don't know the love of God, that, that we have a compassion to, to share with them the love of Jesus and see people get saved, see people come to the kingdom of God. Do you realize if you, if you identify today in here as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, you have been called to be a fisher of men. Not just the churches, not just the pastors, but each of us individually who, who, who are Christ followers or believers in Christ, disciples of Christ, we've each been called to do the ministry of, of, of catching men for Jesus. Or in other words, being fishers of men. And so it has to be a heart that each one of us have to reach the lost. So I want to share with you guys, again, for us as a church vision. Last week it was um, the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. You guys remember? The, the powerful part of the story of the Good Samaritan is that the Good Samaritan in the story, he, he, he represents Jesus in a lot of ways. And, and these religious folks, they go by this guy on the road who's beaten half to death. And, and they, they, they walk by the other side of the road and, and different religious folks won't have anything to do with him. And then, and then the good Samaritan comes by and sees him and bandages his wounds and puts him on his own donkey and takes him to the inn. And he leaves the innkeeper some money. And he says to the innkeeper, I want you to care for him until I return. And if you spend any more than the money that I left for you, when I return, I will repay you. And, and the good Samaritan brings the guy that's half dead to the inn and tells the inn to take care of him until the good Samaritan returns. And when he returns, he'll repay him. And for us as a church, we want to be that inn. That's what we're called to be as a church. And Jesus brings us people that are half dead. They're half broken. They're, they're hemorrhaging. They're bleeding. No concern how they got that way. Nobody cares, right? It's not like we're going to judge you at the door based on why are you half dead? Why are you hemorrhaging or bleeding or, or, or not well? We don't care. And nowhere in the parable does anybody care why or how the person got that way. Just the instruction to care for them. And again, for us as a church, that, that we want to be that church. We, we want to be a place where people come and they're loved and they're, they're cared for and that people come that are broken. People come that are different, that have different beliefs than we do and different ideas than we do. And that's all okay. And that, and that together we, we, we grow in Jesus together and we, we present the love of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and the, you know, and, and the truth of the word of God as we teach through God's word. Now, today I want to share a little tidbit as before we get into second corinthians chapter nine today we covered eight last week and nine does anybody know why we covered chapter eight and nine of second corinthians these last two weeks i'll tell you why don't worry because it's the probably the the most concise place in the new testament um that talks about money 
It, it just is two chapters that specifically deal with the area of money and giving. And, um, and so those are, you know, it's, you, you couldn't really turn to any other place in the New Testament and find more information on that subject than 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So we're covering them. Now, again, by way of vision, how many of you guys found your way to 1 Chronicles chapter 4? Okay, hard kind of to find. I want you to look at verse number 10. Now, if you've thumbed through there already, you'll see that this is just a bunch of genealogy. Maybe if you begin reading verse 1 or 2, you said, what, Pastor, why are we going here? This is just a bunch of names, and I can't pronounce them, and they make no sense. And and God is going through this list of genealogy. And what's so powerful, what's so cool, is that when God comes to your name in the list, he pauses. That's what we'd like to think, right? We'd like to think, hopefully, that if God's going through just a bunch of names, when he came to my name in the list, there would be something about my life that he would want to brag about. There'd be something about my life that he would want to share with other folks that would enhance their lives, would encourage their lives, would change their lives. So we get this amazing guy in the Old Testament nestled here in this chapter that's just about genealogy. And the Bible has lots of genealogy. It was very important biblically that, that the Bible kept specific records that you can prove that Jesus goes all the way back to Adam. So we know in line from Jesus's father to his grandfather to his great grandfather to his great great grandfather to his great 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 grandfather. I'm just going to keep going until we get to Adam. There's like 40 more. Um, so just kidding. We, we have this, this, this detailed list of genealogy in the Bible and it, and it's important, but after Jesus, they don't, they lost the Jews lost all of those genealogical records in AD 70 when Titus Vespasian came through and he sacked the city, it's all lost. So Jesus is really the only one that the only Jew that can track his line all the way back through King David, through Abraham, all the way to Adam and Eve. So Anyways, in this list of genealogy, just name after name after name after name. And then we get to Judah. I'm sorry, we get to Jabez and God stops and he records a prayer that this guy prayed. Let's take a look at it in in verse number 10. It says, and Jabez called on God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me indeed. So everybody say part one. Okay, I said everybody, not somebody. Everybody say part one. Okay, so this is the first part of his prayer, is that God would bless him indeed. You know, my pastor used to always t- tell me, you know, you, you better be praying for yourself. Because if you're not praying for yourself, there's a good chance that nobody else is. And, and so it's okay to be praying for yourself. It's necessary that it's encouraged. I think sometimes we think, you know, when we pray that we're supposed to be other centered and be praying for everybody else. And which is a good thing. But the Bible tells us you have not because you ask not. And, and it's important to to pray for the things that you have need of. The Bible says in another place that you receive not because you ask amiss. So as long as you're asking according to God's will. But here here Jabez starts with this heart of asking God to bless his life. And listen, that's okay. It's good to ask God to bless your life. It's biblical to ask God to bless your life. Don't ever feel bad about it. Encouraging um, you and, and in this prayer. And it's so key. What we're going to see is we go through these. these we did part one. We're going to see part two. We're going to see part three. Every one of them is so, like Jabez got it. Like this guy just understood something about God, about prayer, about, about focus. And so this is why God, God prepares. So first he's praying that God would bless his life. 
And then he says, and enlarge my territory. Somebody say part two. Part two of his prayer is that God would enlarge his territory. Now, for us as a church, this is our prayer, that God would bless us. Number two, that God would enlarge our territory. You know, I want to tell you that our our vision for church, and I think this is true of, of a lot of places, is like a ball on a hill. And if you place a ball, a basketball, on the side of a steep hill, the ball's going to do one of two things. Depending on which side, if you just let it go and do nothing, what's the ball going to do? It's going to roll down the hill. It's going to move backwards. I could probably bowl it up the hill with some effort and I could get it moving up the hill. If if as a church, we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. Okay, we always have to be taking new territory. We always want to be moving forward as a church, taking new ground. You know, never, never content just to hold the ground that God gave us. We always want to take new ground. We want to grow. That's the vision that God gave us. That's the call, the biblical call. When we first started this church, we, um, we started, Lydia and I started a Bible study in our home on a Wednesday night. Many of the folks that came um, were going to Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, and, and that's how we started. Pastor Terry introduced us to a few families that lived out here but were driving the 40 miles in to go to church. Um, some of the families were from Tooele and really not involved anywhere. And so we, um, we, you know, we, we had this, we were in a similar place than where we are right now. And we presented to these few families that were coming in the early days, hey, someday we want to start a Sunday morning and we want to enlarge our territory. And, and we want, um, we know that you guys go to another church or, or some of you are involved in other churches and we believe biblically that your tithe goes to the storehouse. That's where you receive your bread. That's your home church. And this is something that, that we don't want to take from that. But we know for many of you, this is going to eventually be your home church. And, it, and it, But if you want to be a part, we're going to begin to receive an offering at some point on our Wednesday night Bible study. And all 100% of the money will go towards um, starting a Sunday morning if we ever find a building someday. And a few folks invested in a little Bible study on Wednesday nights here in Tooele at my house. And then came a Sunday in September. Um, and we had our first Sunday. September 1st, 2013. You know what that makes today? Five-year anniversary. Somebody say, woo Just kidding. Um, so today is our fifth-year anniversary, so it's a good place to be, a good day to have it. We're excited to be here. But, but you know what? Some folks in the early days, five years ago, that I look around, I still see some of them that are here today. Some of them have already decided to hate me and moved on. That's okay. Um, but a few of them are still here, and... Um, and that little investment that they made enabled us to get to where we are today. When we first came to, to, to rent this building, and the very first one we had is where the sound booth is now. There was a wall here that we took out, um, and, and it was just that building. We had our first Sunday, September 1st, 2013. We had 65 chairs. Where the sound booth is is where I set up and where the worship team was. We had, uh, I don't know if we had TVs. Do we have a screen? We had a screen up. And, and, the, and it was long and narrow. And we had 65 chairs put out. 75 people showed up our first Sunday. When I went to, when I went to rent that building, we needed $2,400. And those folks that were investing on Wednesday nights had given so generously that the church in our account, we had $2,200. So we were $200 short of the first check that we ever wrote as, as a church, as Tooele Springs, our own church. So Lydia and I, we, we wrote a check for $400. We put it in the church account so that it wouldn't go in the red, the very first check I ever wrote. So I wrote a check for $2,400 and we rented that side of the building. Uh, a week, this was in August. 
We had already announced September 1st we were going to start a Sunday morning. We didn't have a chair. We didn't have anything. We didn't have a TV. We had, didn't have a pulpit. We, we had myself and my Bible and Destiny and a guitar. So we knew that at least I could preach and Destiny could lead a couple songs. If we sat on the floor and we had to hold music sheets or whatever, we didn't, we didn't know. And a week later, God said, I want you to rent the other side, which is where I'm standing now, which was a dance studio. That was a music, uh, a beauty salon. They moved out first. The dance studio had just moved out. And he said, rent the other side. We had minus $200 in our account when God said to rent this side. And I said, I was so excited. I really was. I was so blessed because I, I really felt a move of God's spirit. And I knew God told me that I was supposed to rent it. So I knew if God told me I was supposed to rent this side with negative $200 that he was going to have to show up and do a miracle. So I call the guy in Salt Lake and I make the appointment and, and he's got to drive all the way out from Salt Lake and I don't want to waste his time. And, you know, I got no money and I'm supposed to negotiate and make another payment when he comes and rent this side. And, and he's coming out on a Monday and, and Sunday I have absolutely still have negative $200. And by the time he showed up on Monday, we had $40,000 in the account miraculously $40,000 showed up and that's how we, we started and, and the way God led us. And so, um, you know, but, but those little steps and that, that particular one came from somebody on the outside that doesn't come to church here and God just did it supernaturally. And, you know, he called us to step out in faith. And as we stepped out, he showed up. Um, but ever since we've had the vision as, as Jabez does here of enlarging our territories. I can remember in those early days, oftentimes, you know, as we talk about growing as a church, you know, for some people, they have the idea that, oh, I like small church because it's more quaint and convenient. And, you know, you meet more people and you can, you know, be more friendly with the pastor. And, you know, and I get all that. And that, you know, they don't necessarily want to grow. And, and, and because of that, I think, you know, I, I would find myself oftentimes like apologizing that we want to grow. Or feeling guilty because I, you know, I had this vision that, that we want to be a bigger church. And I finally got to the point where I'm like, I'm, gonna, I'm done apologizing for wanting to grow. Because what is the purpose of growing if it's not to reach more people? If more people are in the seats, does that not mean that more people are coming to a saving grace in Jesus? More lives are being changed? There's more impact from the gospel? And, and that's what we're doing, right? That is the vision that we're doing. So as we grow, if, if, if what's convenient of, of being a small church, we, just try to, we have to try to keep those conveniences as we grow. Small groups and home churches and home Bible studies and fellowships and different things to, to, to keep a big church small. But we never want to not be a big church because a big church means what? Big impact. It means lives are changed. And so, um, you know, we have to have the correct motives as we desire to grow. We can't, we can't want to grow for our ego or, you know, for whatever reason. But I'll tell you the other thing that can happen. You know, Tooele County desperately needs a lighthouse. Do you guys believe this? Do you realize, let me ask you this. Do you realize that from Adam and Eve, since the time of Adam and Eve, somebody say way back, there's never been a lighthouse in Tooele. Never. There's never been, do you know how many churches just like this one I've watched come and go since I've been here in five years? I wouldn't be exaggerating if I said 12. I've seen 12 church plants come and go. People ask me all the time, what does the LDS community think about you guys? Do they, do they see you as competition? Are they bothered by you? Are they worried about you? And I tell them all the time, not at all. They're, 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 they, they don't take us seriously. They don't see us as competition. They, they've seen so many churches just like mine come and go. 
The evangelical church in Tooele County for the last 25 years has never made a really big presence in Tooele County. We, we've never had something that was a lighthouse that, 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 that spoke of victory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's never existed here. And, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about churches that are here or existing. Um, I think the gospel grows when all the churches grow, when all the evangelical churches do well. You know, we have friend Dustin who just came and started Life Church here. He asked me if we'd meet with a guy. They're planning a new church in Stansbury coming up, and they're bringing a pastor in. And I'm not sure what kind of church, but we're going to meet with him and welcome him and do everything we can to bless him and help him. Because the gospel grows when all the churches grow, when the gospel grows. And so we're not, you know, but, but there's never been something that says Jesus wins here in that way. And I think we can be that. And I think as we grow, and, and if, if growth promotes more growth and healthy sheep beget more sheep, and, and we get to the point someday where they don't look at us as they have in the last, you know, since Adam and Eve in Tooele County and say, when a fox runs on their wall, it's going to topple as it's happened in Nehemiah. And that's the attitude. They've just seen it too many times. It's no threat. I think we should be a threat. I think we should scare them. That everybody in their churches are going to start coming to our church. And then, and then they'll have something to be worried about. And then we'll have some trouble because then they'll take us seriously. But that's where we want to get and where we want to go as God enlarges our territories. Okay, part three, it says that your hand would be with me. Somebody say part three. Part three of his prayer is that the hand of God would be with them. Now, I, gotta, I, gotta, I just looked at the clock, and I really got to start jamming, so I'm going to talk a little bit faster and try to keep the points a little shorter. But the presence of God is absolutely essential. It is every, I, can't, I can't emphasize enough the, the, the effect and the, the importance of the presence of God in everything that we do. It's not the only thing. It's not the everything. It is, it is more than that. I mean, the presence of God is absolutely everything. And everything is such an understatement. It, 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 it is the thing. The presence of God in our church, in our lives. God called Moses to step out in faith. And Moses said, God, I'll go with you anywhere, but I'm not going unless you go with me. I don't want to go anywhere unless God goes with me. And God said, Moses, go I will go with you. And at that point, Moses could do anything and go anywhere because he knew the presence of God would go with him. And, and so in, for us, the presence of God is so important in our ministry, in our lives. You know, every time that I preach, every time the worship team gets up, every time we do anything, we don't want to do it in our flesh, in our own strength. We want the power of God's Holy Spirit, the presence of God to stand next to us, the presence of God to be with us in everything that we do, guiding and leading us. And, and Jabez understood this in his prayer, and he said, the hand of God be with me, part three. Now look at part four. It says, um, and that you would keep me from evil. Now, somebody say part four. Okay, part four is that God would keep them from evil. Why? Because if, if you want God to enlarge your territory, what's going to prevent that from happening? Uh, sin, for one. Uh, evil, things in your life that, that separate you from the presence of God and God's hand being on you. Things in your life where you have to take the hand of God that's upon you and, and, and put it off of you so that you can go and do what you want to do for a while and then come back and take the hand and put it back on you. Okay, I'm back. I had some fun, you know, I was in Vegas for the weekend, but I'm back now. You can put your hand back on me. And we do certain things that, that the, when there's sin in the camp, then we can't move forward. We can't take new territory. It starts with me. 
but it includes every one of you. You know, as Joshua conquered Jericho, they went on to this little tiny battle after Jericho, and they had such an overwhelming success in Jericho that Joshua didn't even send the whole army. He just sent a few soldiers, and he said, I'll just go take care of that little AI. And the soldiers went up, four or 5,000 soldiers, and they got slaughtered. And Joshua completely freaked out. Now, for Joshua to freak out, he shouldn't have because he's seen an amazing hand of God. But he got a little nervous and he ripped his clothes and he, he had a kind of a depression and kind of a point where he was just really bummed out and really wondering if God was still in this whole thing. And, and he said, God, what's going on? Why, why did we just get beat in AI? And God said, because there's sin in the camp. And until you deal with your sin, you can't, you can't grow. And so they had to go and they had to find the people in the camp. It finds this one guy and he stole a bunch of stuff from Jericho that wasn't his and buried it under his tent. And until they dealt with him, and it cost that guy and his family his life. And every one of them, they, they killed. And they dealt with the sin in the camp. And then they went back to Ai, and they had a sweeping victory. And then they went on and had 20, 29 more sweeping victories, where the, where, the, where the children of Israel became very rich during that time. And all the spoils of war. And God blessed them super financially and in their wealth during that season. But... There was sin in the camp that prevented them. And, and, and Jabez hits on that in part four. And he says, keep us from evil. And then in part five, he says that I may not cause pain. Okay, part five. I'm going to say part five. That he may not cause pain. Now I want to tell you. As a pastor, it, it, it is, um, I don't know, it's the, it's the worst thing to deal with really. You know, it really, it really is the hardest thing. Is that sometimes people get hurt. People get their feelings hurt. And there's, there's a pain that's caused. And, and maybe, you know, even in something like this, we, we've presented this offering and, you know, presented this opportunity for people. And, um, you know, I never, I never want no one to get hurt. I never want no one to be stumbled by, by the ministry or by the things of God. I never want, you know, and one of the things that happens, he says that keep me from evil is connected so that I won't cause pain. You know, you know how many evangelical pastors just like me in the United States over the last 10, 20 years have fallen to moral sin. It's a high number. It happens all the time. And it's a black eye on the gospel. It's a black eye on the church. It's happened in Calvary Chapel multiple times with Calvary Chapel pastors. One of the biggest Calvary chapels in the, in the world, one of the biggest churches in the world was in Florida. And a pastor in Florida, Calvary Chapel, 10,000 people at Calvary Chapel on a Wednesday night. Amazing pastor, great teacher, funny. Super, super dynamic. The pastor fell. Fell into moral sin. Was having an affair and addicted to pornography. And, and what do you think that does to God's people? It causes pain. The Bible says it gives the enemies of God the occasion to blaspheme. And, and so it's important that we keep ourselves from evil. That we keep ourselves from sin. That we, we don't want to do something that's going to cause pain um, and hurt folks. It's an enemy of the gospel. Does it, does it change the love of God because the pastor in Florida fell? Does it change the truth of God's word because the pastor in Florida fell? Absolutely not. God's word doesn't change. The truth doesn't change. The reality of heaven and hell does not change because the pastor in Florida fell. But it does, give, it does cause pain. And it does give the enemies of God the occasion to blaspheme. And so we, we, again, the prayer of Jabez in his prayer, Lord, keep me from evil that I might not cause pain, that I don't want to hurt anybody in what we do. And, and, and we never want to see that happen. And then I love it. At the end, it says, um, verse 10 there. You guys still with me? 
So God granted Tooele Springs what they requested. Amen. And they were able to buy their building. All right, quickly now. Um, if you will turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We, I, I want to cover this. So I want to recap 8 just a little bit. In chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, the reason why we're covering this is because it deals with money. Now, lots of the Bible has to deal with money. I've never actually done it, so I don't know that you could, that, that you could prove me on this. But they say that, that, that the Bible talks more about money than heaven, hell combined, talks more about money than... And, and the way they did that was they counted the verses that deal with money. They counted the verses that deal with other topics. And there's like 2,600 verses that, that touch on or talk about money. So the Bible itself does talk quite a bit about money. In the New Testament, there, there's places where Jesus is talking about money. That Jesus, because it's tied to your heart. Money can become a God. Jesus said you can't serve two gods, both the Lord and mammon. Either you love one or you hate the other. And, and there's, there's the idea that either money will control you or you will control your money. You know, you've heard it said, and I preach it all the time, right? Money cannot make you happy. I've said that, right? But, but I want to be clear because that's not totally true. The, the, what's totally true, and to be clear, what, what's not going to make you happy is more money. Okay? Right? We, we illustrated that last week. How much, how much money would you guys need to be happy? The answer for everybody is always the same. A little bit more than you have right now. And guess what happens when you get a little bit more than what you have right now? Then you need a little bit more than what you have right then. And we illustrated that in, in the world, around the world today, um, there's more, but we, we, we looked at 10 billionaires, multi-billionaires who are in prison after they became billionaires because they did something illegal to make more money, like they didn't have enough. One of the guys had enough money that he could buy a brand new Lamborghini. Actually, he could buy two brand new Lamborghinis and have <coughs> billions left over at the at the end of his life, two brand new Lamborghinis every day for the rest of his life. And it wasn't enough money. He's in prison. So the idea is more money don't make you happy. But if we're being honest, everybody needs money. Money does contribute to our happiness. You know, for Lydia and I, like we, I, I think we live pretty humbly. We have as, as pastor and pastor's wife for, for lots of years. When the, when the kids started school, Lydia works outside the home now and gives us a little extra income as a family. And, um, you know, and, and we, but we live good. And, and it's nice to be able to pay, pay, the, pay the bills, pay the light, pay the car bills, and have a little bit of extra money to go out to melting pot every once in a while and take my wife to a fancy dinner or do like we did a couple of weeks ago and go up to Bear Lake and spend the weekend, just her and I, in a hotel at the lake. And, you know, so yeah, money contributes to your happiness. You, to be able to have a few things that, you know, where, where you, can, you can do some nice things, you can live a certain way. So absolutely money contributes to happiness. It's false to say it doesn't. But just understand the perspective, right? More money doesn't. And then, and then people say, oh, money is evil. The Bible says money is evil. Does the Bible say money is evil? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that money is the root. Somebody says, oh, yes, it does. The Bible says money is the root of all evil. No, actually, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says money is the root of all kinds of evil. Big difference. One little word changes the meaning of that verse. Money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it has potential to be, um, to be evil in your life and all kinds of evil if your money rules you. 
And so the reason why Jesus talked a lot about it, the Bible talks a lot about it, is because God wants um, you to manage and you to rule your money. Now, the good news for you guys is that as we talk about money, I think there's a, there's a wisdom, right, in, in talking about money management. You know, I think, um, but again, the good news for you is that I'm not going to teach money management today. That's not my forte. That's not my specialty. I'm terrible with money. I like shopping. I like Jordans. I got lots of them. Where Jesus said, where your money is, there your heart will be also. You look in my closet and you will tell that I love Jordans. So, um, so I'm not necessarily the guru on, on money management. But there's a lot out there. Lydia and I have used Dave Ramsey over the years. Many of you might have heard of him. If you haven't, he does money management. Love his stuff. Love Dave Ramsey's stuff. Um, the, the idea is that if you want to be a generous person and, and, and you get to a point like we are today as a church, where the church says, hey, we have an opportunity and we need some help and we're going we're gonna to do a special offering. If you've mismanaged your money, you're, you're not in a position to be able to be generous. You're not in a position to be able to give. You know, you'd have to go into debt to give, and I don't think that that's God's will for you or for any of us, that, that, that there is a place of, of money, you know, contributing to our happiness that, that we manage it well. But again, I'm not teaching that class. I, got, I think Andy Stanley does a great job. Eva Sue sent me a couple of studies that, that he did. If you want the link, see Eva Sue or see me. I'll text you the link. If you're interested in, in some money management talks, um, um, Andy Stanley does an amazing job with it. Like I said, Dave Ramsey does a really good job with it. You guys can um, check them out too. <clears throat> so chapter 8, Paul is receiving a special offering, okay? Now chapter 8 and 9 deal a lot with money, but interestingly enough, it's not necessarily a teaching on tithing. We talked about last week a little bit that the idea of tithe, it is um, an Old Testament law and it's not repeated in the New Testament other than when Jesus said of your mints, he's speaking to the Pharisees, of your mints and cumins, you, you tithe, which you should have done without neglecting the, the, the weightier matters of the law, which are love and mercy. Um, so Paul says is going to give us here in chapter nine, a premise, kind of a new Testament premise. Now, the idea of giving to the work of God and giving to, um, kingdom work is not an old Testament or a new Testament principle. It's, it's a, it's a matter of Genesis to revelation. It's a matter of God's people. And it's a call of God's people that we're to give to kingdom work, that we're to be a, a people who believes that, that, that God's work is, is valuable and it's the best place to invest. Now, again, I, I would never suggest or I don't think I could teach um, um, dogmatically that, that there's a certain number in the New Testament that God requires for you to give. Um, that, that's something for each of you to determine because Paul says that let each one give as he determines in his heart. I think there happens to be, because it just makes sense, it's a good place to land. I know for Lydia and I, it's just kind of where we landed early in our, in our life and have, have stayed there with the number 10% as a tithe. And we start there, it's the first check we write, it's a matter of first fruits. But again, I, I, I could never begrudgingly or tell you that you're required biblically in the New Testament to tithe. The tithe... Um, is an Old Testament law, although, although with that, the tithe was also before the law. 
The tithe came 400 years before God ever gave the law to Moses. And the tithe was first introduced in the Bible in Abraham. And so you see it before the law, you see it during the law, you see Jesus talk about it after the law. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Bible-wide thing. But just being careful that we never put any um, false um, expectations of God on people that God didn't put. Now, what God does require for each of us is generosity. And we're going to see that very clearly in the Bible today. You know, and, and, and some people who say, oh, the Old Testament tithe was 10% and, and they, they get dogmatic and stickler about that. A- actually, the Old Testament tithe was, was there was three tithes that were taken. And on some years, depending on how it fell, according to the law of Moses, your tithe was technically 30% of your income in the Old Testament. Very simple. Do the math. It's real easy. It's all there. And so just, just being careful that we're not splitting hairs on, on you know, on those things. And I, I think, again... You know, I think probably because of the abuses of churches and, and false churches and of false advertising and the bad taste it puts in people's mouth about money over the years, and because so many people have misused it, that the Holy Spirit, that God was very, very careful in the New Testament not to just flat out say, you're required to give such and such. Because it's just not there. But, but even though it's not, like I said, specifically there in the New Testament where I could take you to a verse and say, here, here's what God requires in the area of your life and giving. I, I think if you know the heart of God, and again, if you, when, we, when we meet God, when we know God, it's a Genesis to Revelation principle, you'll get the idea of generosity and that God calls you to give to kingdom work. All right. So keep getting back to this. So that's going to eventually bring me to chapter nine, verse one. In chapter eight. The church in Jerusalem is struggling. Lots of reasons, so we'll have to cut them out today. But the church in Jerusalem, primarily the Jewish church, Peter preached on Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved. Another time, 5,000 people at once. Um, Lots of stuff going on in Jerusalem. The church is exploding. And and, and so they developed this communal type of living that the early church existed in. Where everybody sold everything that they had and brought it together and created in the early days of communal living. That was not God's prescription for church today. It was something that was just a genuine move of the God's spirit in the early church. And, and it failed. And, and it went broke. And they, they, they couldn't afford it. And the church was struggling. And so Paul is out and he's telling the Corinthian church, hey, we have an opportunity to help the church in Jerusalem. There's no obligation. We expect that you give willingly. We expect that you give with the right heart. But you don't have to. And, and, and it is an opportunity that he presents. You know, some people said um, on, on this whole offering, like, do you think it's a little bit like lack of faith for the church to not just like let go and let God to just, you know, uh, um, assume that the money's just naturally going to just be there when you need it on October 1st? And the reality is that that's not what you see in the Bible. You don't see where Paul just lets go and lets God and and the church in Jerusalem is just supernaturally going to be taken care of because God loves them. What Paul does is he just presents an opportunity for the people to be a part if they want to. And and I think that's the biblical thing that we're doing is that we're just doing the same thing we seen that we studied last week in um, when they when David built the temple. We present an opportunity. And if you want to be involved, you can. And, and that's, that's where it is. And so Paul is presenting the opportunity. He gives a couple examples, kind of motivating them to give as it starts. And, um, and then he tells them, you know, I've been bragging about you guys and this gift that you're going to give. The Corinthian church was very wealthy. They were in a good community. They were in a, 
Vegas style community of their day that was very wicked on one side, but very affluent on another side. The churches there were wealthy. The people had good jobs. They were making a lot of money. And so Paul says, you know, you could really help the, the, the Jewish church, the, the new church, the God's church, the church that, that started and that's struggling in Jerusalem. You know, a little side note, but I think it's interesting fact that we should know. In AD 70, something was going to happen to the church in Jerusalem. What was that? They were going to get destroyed. Okay? Jerusalem was going to come through. They were going to finally have the final battle with the Romans who were occupying Jerusalem. Titus Vespasian, a Roman general, he comes through Jerusalem as Jesus predicted in the year AD 70. And he completely sacks the city of Jerusalem. Murders a bunch of Jews. A lot of them left. Um, and, 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 and they didn't have anything. And so when they knew this prophecy and they knew that it was coming, they, they were willing to leave. And a lot of the Jews and a lot of the early Christians, they left before Titus got there or there shortly after because they didn't have anything. You know, in Germany, and I'm reading a book right now, a, bi- a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, who was a theologian in, in Germany at the rise of Hitler. And in 33, Hitler got into power. And, and during that time, the, 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 the slow fade to where he got to the final solution and to where he got to the point from, from just being a newcomer in 33 to where he killed 6 million Jews, slowly things really started to get bad in Germany for the Jewish people. And as I'm reading this, I'm asking myself the obvious question, you know, if, if why did the Jews not leave? Why didn't they flee to America? Like if I could go back in a time machine, I'd go back to Germany in 33 and I would start telling them, you guys got to leave. You go to America, you'll be safe there. Go, leave, leave, leave. Well, they didn't leave Germany in those days when things got bad because they had so many holdings. They had so many things that were valuable and and they just kept hoping for the best and never thought the worst would happen, but they wouldn't leave because they were rich. Well, the Jews in Jerusalem, they were poor. And when Titus was coming, they didn't have any problem leaving. And so they, they, they did that. So Paul is again receiving this offering. And that brings us to chapter 9. And as we come to chapter 9, it's now administering the gift. The second part of 8, actually almost, almost to 9, I'm sorry. Look at chapter 8, verse number 10. That's our key verse. What does it say? And in this I give advice. It is what? It is to what? Whose advantage? You know, one of the things as, as you know, kind of, unnervy as it can be sometimes having to talk about money in church, it, it is to your advantage. And, and I would be doing you an absolute disservice if we never talked about money because it is to your advantage. And, you know, I, I, could, I could really honestly for the next 30 minutes just tell you story after story after story of God's faithfulness in the area of those who believe in giving and those who give and, and how God just absolutely has done amazing work in it and through it. You know, be careful of, of not bragging and, you know, maybe I'll tell you one story uh, of a young man here in our church. In, a, in our men's discipleship class, we were teaching on, on this principles of tithing and giving and generosity. And this young man was having a hard time with it. And he was like, his face was getting twisted. And, you know, and finally he's just like, he's like, are you telling me? Because we talked about it being a, a matter of first fruits and that you, you write that check first and it has to be faith and that's a biblical principle. And he said, are you telling me that if I have bills and I owe people money that God is honored if I pay him first and I don't pay my bills? 
Is, is that what you're telling me? How is God honored by that? Like I owe people money and if I write the first check to the church and I pay first fruits and I pay my tithes, I can't afford to pay my bills. That doesn't make sense. And we encouraged him in love. We said, yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. We don't know how it works, but it, it does work. And it is a matter of faith. And yes, it has to come off the top. And even if you can't pay your bills on the back end, somehow supernaturally those bills will get paid. And, and that's the principle of, of God math. And we see it in, in 1 Kings. We see the same exact example given. And the widow, do you remember? And I had to be quick. But the widow, she told Elijah, she said, I only have enough bread and, and, and meal for, for my son and I to make one more pancake. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. And Elijah said, make that pancake and give it to me. And she's like, what you talking about, Willis? Didn't you hear what I just said? I only have enough for me and my son. We're going to eat it. And then we're going to die because there's no more. And you want me to give it to you, the man of God. And he says, yeah, give it to me first. And it's a biblical principle. And she gives it to him first. First Kings 17, read the story, great story. She gives it to him first. And then God goes on supernaturally and provides for them. And, and every time she goes in, God just supernaturally provides on the back end. So we tell this young man that. We encourage him. And we say, yes, the biblical principle is if you don't know how, you're gonna, how the ends are going to meet on the back end, you still pay your tithe on the front end because it's a matter of trusting God. So, he, you know, he, he receives it and then he leaves. And I get this really long text message on my phone, like this long. I'm like, you know, and he's just so excited. He's beside himself. He's pumped. He's elated. Well, we didn't know it. But he had his tithe in his pocket. He had some money in his pocket. And on the way out of men's group that night, he grabbed an envelope and believing and just trusting God, he put a a money that he needed for his lunch tomorrow, for his bills, for everything in his week. He he put his tithe in an envelope and he left it here when he left. And, and, And then he sends me this text because by the time he got home, his mom was still handling his finances and she took, she got his checks and deposited them for him and and, and he gets home that night and his mom says, oh, Ben, you got a bonus from work, $350 in your account. I just said his name, but. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and he was just so excited. And I said, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, like, I really believed it. I've seen it in my life a million times, but I've never seen it work that fast. <laughs> like from the time you left here to the time you got home. God just did something in his heart to show him that, that God, and this, 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 honestly, this bonus that he got from work was like, he never got bonuses. He didn't get bonuses for what he did. And for whatever crazy, strange reason that day, his boss out of the blue decided to write him a $350 bonus for the week. And, 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 you know, it was, it was just a cool story. All right. So, but I could tell those all day long. And then it says in verse number nine, it says now concerning chapter nine. Now let's get there. Now concerning the ministry, the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. Superfluous just means it's not necessary. I know, you know, those, you know, I know, you know, these things for, I know your willingness about which I boast to those of the Macedonians that Acacia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said to you, may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come to me and find me unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. So Paul's going to ask them to prepare the gift. 
the gift that, that they promised that he's going to come and receive, he set it up so that it would be above reproach and people from the outside would come and receive it. And he had Timothy and Titus, a couple of the, the leaders come that were going to take care of it. And um, he wanted when he got there that they would have already prepared it. He didn't want to come and it, and it be a matter of them having to give at that point or, or, or that it was something that was begrudging or that we promised it. Now we're here to get it. So he didn't want anything, you know, weird about it. So he said, just prepare it beforehand and, and have it ready so that that it's there and that nobody needs to be embarrassed or ashamed. Now, one of the, the biblical principles is um, this concept. I want you to repeat after me. Everybody say give to get. So. This is an idea, a biblical idea, that do you, do you, a question I'll ask you, don't answer it, just to think about it. Do you give to God so that you'll get back? I said, don't answer it, whoever that was. I'm going to, you know. Um, now, I, okay, here's, let's, let's ask this question. Does God base your reward on the motive of your heart? That one you can answer. The answer is absolutely yes, Right. The widow's two mites, she gave the two mites, her, her, the, her heart was in the right place. So it absolutely matters where your heart is. The size of the gift doesn't matter. What it costs you is what matters. Um, the, the amount of faith that you had to give. And if you give it begrudgingly, if you give it because you have to, if you give it because the church pressured you, if you give it um, when you can't afford it and it hurts and you don't really want to give it, then that's a matter of the heart. And so it absolutely matters uh, it's a matter of the heart how we give. And God absolutely rewards based on how we give. Okay? Because he, he rewards the, the heart. So um, so on the, the idea of give to get, we, we want to have the right motive. And, and here's what happens, unfortunately, is you get these preachers who are, who are misusing the, um, again, the gospel and, and, and the giving. And they, they preach sermons that if you, if you give $100 in faith, God's going to give you 1000 And, you know, you give to get. And I've heard him say, it doesn't matter how or it doesn't matter with what motive you give. If you just muster up the energy and you give it, God will bless it. It's a lie. It does matter how you give it. It does matter with what motive, with what heart. So, so for that, because of that, that kind of sour taste in our mouth, we want to be careful that we're, we don't necessarily have the motive that we give to get. But, but the Bible teaches, Jesus said very specifically, if you give, you will get. So I know that. I know that. I know the word of God teaches that. It's clear. Luke 6, 38 here, I'm going, to t- I'm going to read it again in 9. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, he said, give and it will be given back to you. Is that hard to understand? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. Like, it's not even like you have to go somewhere and pick it up. He'll put it in your lap. It'll be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So, so there is the reality that, that, that give to get is a biblical principle, and it's okay. It's okay for you to give understanding that you'll get, because Jesus said that. Now, again, like I said, we want to be careful with the motive as we give, and that we give because we want to, and it's not solely give to get, but it's okay to know and to understand that when you give, you will get. God will bless. God will provide. God will give back. That's, that's the nature of God. You're not, you're not going to outgive God. And then he says... Um, in verse number six, and he said, but I say, 
He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, the, the, the premise of our giving, I want you guys to repeat after me. What you keep is all you have. What you give, God multiplies. One more time. What you keep is all you have. What you give, God multiplies. Now, the the thing that we've been preaching, teaching, saying is biblical is that the more you give, the more you'll have. And if any of you are just practical people out here and you've kind of done the logic in your mind, you're like, hold on a minute. That doesn't make any sense. The more I give, the less I have. And, 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 but yet that's the biblical principle. But again, what makes sense is the more I keep, then obviously the more I have. But, but so here, Paul is going to explain this idea and how it works. The more you give, the more you will have. The idea is the biblical idea is sowing and reaping. So the idea or the, the word picture is a farmer and he's in a field. Now, I don't know how you guys, how would you guys imagine a farmer in a field planting seeds? You can't do it like they do it today because they do it with these fancy machines today that cost like a million dollars that just, they run over the fields and it puts the seeds. But okay, back in the day before the fancy uh, John Deere tractors that plant the seeds for you, how does someone plant seeds? Like one of the ways we scatter seeds, right? And in my mind, I see a guy with a bag and he's got it wrapped around his waist, right? Like on a belt. And he reaches his hand in his bag and he's, he's, he's throwing seeds out. Okay. How many of you guys are good at math? I'm going to give you a math problem. I want you to answer the question and I'm going to make fun of you if you get it wrong. So, um, don't get it wrong. Okay. Cause then I'll have to belittle you and I don't want to do that in church because I'm a pastor and I love you. But, um, so if you have 10 seeds and you put 10 seeds in the ground, how many stalks of wheat will you grow? Some of you aren't sure, okay? You put 10 seeds in the ground. This is not like, oh, well, the rain came and the wind came and you lost two. No, 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 okay? It's just kindergarten math, okay? You put 10 seeds in the ground, how many stalks grow out? Okay, you put 50 seeds in the ground, how many stalks grow out? You put 100 seeds in the ground, how many stalks grow out? You guys are good. You put 1,000 seeds in the ground, how many stalks grow up? Okay, so... At least with that, the more that you sow, the more that the more um, bountifully that you sow, the more bountifully that you'll reap, the more sparingly that you sow, the more sparingly you'll reap. Now, that's just 50 50. That's even math. But God says that he does math completely different. Multiple times in the Bible, God, God takes something that we offer him and he multiplies it. So we put 100 seeds in the ground. We may grow a thousand according to God's math. But, but we, we never have an opportunity to bear a crop or to, to reap a harvest if we don't first plant. And planting and sowing has ev- everything to do with generosity, with the amount that you, that you sow gives you the opportunity to get something back. And that's what Paul's teaching. I, I have people tell me all the time, Pastor, I read the Bible and I don't understand it. I don't know what it means. It's hard to understand. And, and you know, I, I take him to play. The first place I take him to is a verse in the Bible that says, and I'll have him read it to me. And it says, be kind one to another. I'm like, do you understand that? What do you mean you don't understand what the Bible says? Like, can you get that? Like, oh yeah, I understand what that means. Like, 
So wait, okay, I get it. Like, and I, and I, and I don't, you know, I want to concede, right? I understand, like, if we open the book of Revelation, there's things that are hard to understand. If we read through the New Testament, I understand that there's places, yeah, that maybe you got to file for more information later that aren't exactly simple to understand. But it can't be used as an excuse not to read your Bible because, and that's oftentimes the way they, they use it. Oh, I read the Bible, I didn't understand it. But I want to tell you that in this particular place, this is one of those places like be kind to one another. Like this is in English. This is super easy to understand, right? Paul says, you guys with me? He says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And then he goes on and he says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Somebody say this with me, not grudgingly. One more time, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, it's pretty cool to be cheerful in our giving. You know, the, the, the person who gave us the original $40,000 to help us out get started as a church. He said God told him a month ago that there was a little startup church that was happening in Tooele and that he was to give them this sum of money. And the guy was not wealthy. He was retired. He was on a fixed income and he had a ministry of generosity. And what happened was they had all of their life savings at one point in their life. And they came to an opportunity where, where they, they saw a great need and they took everything that they had and they gave it away. And within two days, God tripled what, what, what they had in the bank that they gave away that they couldn't afford. There was everything, all their sustenance. And, and so what they did was they started finding places and, and praying and looking for opportunities that every time God would fill it up, they would give it away. And God would fill it up and they would give it away. And this is not for everybody, but they ended up in a ministry of generosity. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And to this day, they have a ministry of God fills it up and then they go find somewhere and give it away. And they had $40,000 and he said, I wasn't arguing with the Lord. He's like, but I wanted to be sure because it did seem a little strange to come and give you $40,000 and I've never met you and I don't know anything about your church. I'm familiar with Calvary chapels and, and, and my wife and I knew God was talking to us, but we waited and we wanted to be sure. And, and, and we know that God has spoken to us and that we're supposed to do this. And he emptied out what he had at the time and he gave it to us. And I'm sure God filled it up and he's continuing that 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 ministry of generosity. But it says that um, in verse seven, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Now, again, this is the reason why I would never dictate to anybody, you know, what what it's required that, that you give to the Lord on a, on a regular basis. Because it says here that each one gives as he purposes in his heart. But here's what I do say on giving. That if you're going to be honest with yourself and with your walk and with the Lord, that, that whatever that you purpose in your heart, that's because you had a conversation with God and God spoke to your heart about what you're supposed to give and what you're supposed to do. And if you'll, be, if you'll have that conversation, God will challenge you probably with something um, bigger than what you do or, or, or greater than what you, you, you trust him with now. And so, but purpose in your heart. And then again, the, the, the principle is don't give it begrudging. Don't give it because you have to. You don't have to. If, if people tell you you have to give to God, this is what they're saying. They're saying that God is broke. Let me tell you something about God. My dad, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He got lots of money. And guess what? He don't need yours. 
And, and I mean that with all sincerity. He tells us it is to your benefit. It is to your advantage. It is to your advantage. It is to your advantage to be a part of building the kingdom of God. God will reward you. God will bless you is what the word of God says. God will provide for you. He'll take care of you. He'll multiply into your bosom. And if you sow bountifully, God will give back to you bountifully. But it is not required to go to heaven. It's not required to be a member of our church. It's not required to be loved in our church, to be cared for in our church, to be taken care of in our church, that, that you give a penny at any time. And, and if you can't give it with the right heart, please keep it at this time until God works something in your life in a different way. Because everything that you give, you don't get anything for it. And that's not our heart for any of you. Our heart is that everything that you sow into God's kingdom, you do it in faith and, and God blesses your life because of it. And then that you learn to trust God through it. And that you know you can completely trust God with, with every part of your life. And so I want it to be a matter of, of willingness and not begrudging obligation. And then he says, and purpose in your heart. And then he says, not of necessity, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make grace abound toward you that always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Is, is God able to meet your needs? Is he? That, that, that's the premise of giving. It's the premise of giving sacrificially. Do you know for this guy who, um, who, who gave us the money and, and God has chosen, and I know other ministries and I know other people that do the same thing. Actually, Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel, he had a very similar ministry. He wouldn't talk about it or tell about it. He wouldn't brag about it. He wouldn't even teach about it. But we know because we were personal with Pastor Chuck and we've seen some of the things that he did, but he had a very similar ministry. And Pastor Chuck, the founder of Calvary Chapel, was independently wealthy. He was a multimillionaire. He didn't receive a salary from the church. And when, when the, the Calvary Chapel movement was beginning in the 80s and 90s, a lot of the loans that came from Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa to help churches like ours get started, they didn't come from the church at Costa Mesa. They came personally from, from Pastor Chuck's personal checkbook. And he, and he loaned and he gave and, and God continued to fill it up because God knew that every time that he filled it up, he would give it out. But I want to tell you that every time, even for the people that helped us, every time that God fills it up, he shared with me that it, it doesn't make it that much easier the next time to give it out. It still takes faith. And every time it requires a little bit of faith. I think it does get easier. I think as we give and we see God do it, we're like, that was pretty cool. I want to try it again. That worked cool. I want to try that again. I want to do that again. I want, you know, it does get a little contagious. You know, it's like, it's like how many of you guys know somebody that loves to go to the gym, right? I just love working out. I love eating right. I love running four or five miles a day. They're like, dude, how come I don't love those things? You know, like you feel bad, right? Like, you know, but somebody who loves to give, somebody who loves to, to see, and it is contagious and it is addicting and it, it can catch up. Although it does require faith every time. That's still going to keep you in a position where you still got to step out in faith. You got to step out in faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. So hopefully that prepared your hearts to give and dig deep. You know, if, if, if this offering doesn't come out, we're going to have to ask you guys to dig a little deeper and go for a second round. So we're going to pass the bag a second time if it doesn't. No, I'm just kidding. We'll never do that. We'll never do that. And again, uh, we love all you guys. We, we want to just see us grow together, move together, believe together. And, um, if I haven't been clear enough about, you know, this is, is not a, a begrudging obligation. This is an opportunity. Then you haven't heard anything I said and your heart's in a stinky place and you better get right with Jesus. 
No, I'm just kidding. All right, yeah, somebody said amen. Shut up already. We're going uh, to pray. We're going to invite the worship team to come back up. We got about 10 more minutes, seven minutes technically. And uh, during this next seven minutes, we're going to receive communion together. We're also going to receive an offering. Um, and, and then, um, you know, I thought about wanting to let everybody know, you know, what God provided and how God um, is providing for us and for this offering. And there's really no way to do that. I'm not going to put it on our Facebook page or something. I think that's probably not a good way to do it. So you're just going to have to come back next week to find out how we are. I would ask you to pray um, for the appraisal process that we're in right now. We need the appraisal process to go well. And if it goes well, then um, then we should be owners in a couple weeks. And so um, keep that in prayer, please. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, let's pray for this for the offering. And then uh, we're going to have the ushers come forward. We'll sing a song and then I'll come back up. We'll pray for communion. We'll invite you guys to come forward and receive communion. As you come forward and receive communion, you could just take that back to your seat. We'll play a song for you to just spend some personal time with the Lord. And then we'll stand and sing a last song and uh, you guys can be on your way. Jesus, I come before you and Lord, we thank you for this offering that we're about to receive. We thank you, Lord, that we have prayed and we've sought your face for weeks. And we've um, Lord, just asked the church, Lord, and given the church an opportunity to be a part of kingdom building and, and be a, a part of generosity. And Lord, in our hearts, in our lives, we want to be generous people. It's a, it's a foundation. It's a fundamental uh, aspect of our faith, of our families. We want our children to be generous people. We want to teach generosity. We want to encourage generosity. And Lord, we want to live it. And as a church, we want to demonstrate generosity in our giving. And Lord, we want to be a place and a people that are just known for being the most generous people in all the world. Lord, a people that don't compliment us because you're going to get it. And if you like it, we're going to take it off our back and give it to you because we're just that people. And Lord, that, that as you provide supernaturally, that will be that, that gift of generosity that continues to give it out. And every time you fill it up, we just give it away. And you fill it up and we give it away. And we test you in that. And, and Lord, you use us as a beacon of generosity because we know and you know that you can trust us and give it to us because every time you give it to us, we're going to give it away. And we're going to use it for kingdom building. And God, you're going to continue to fill it up. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we give you glory and honor. And Lord, we thank you for the offering that, that we're going to receive in your name. And we ask God that you build your kingdom and help us into will it to reach lost souls and to grow and to take new territory, and to be blessed, and to keep us from evil, that we won't cause pain. And we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Have you